Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampin, and I got a good guest with me today. Good brother, our name is Clark. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate you having me, brother. So I wanted to hop right in, man. I think one of the most interesting, interesting things that you've told me was um, you had a scholarship to school, and you, you, but you had to t- take care of your son. So you had to forego your scholarship. How did you end up coming to that decision? Man, uh, <laughs> it, it really just boiled down to uh, me foreseeing what I missed. Um, I just met my dad at 36. So, you know, uh, it was like, I could be here. I can continue living a college life. Um, I could be in my comfort zone or I can make an adjustment, I can get this job, I can pay for these things right away and not rely on my son's mother's parents. And so that was the decision that I made, you know, that the burden would be mine instead of those who, although they had it, um, it wasn't their burden to bear. So I took that, I took that on immediately. So was you nervous? Was you nervous about leaving school? Uh, no, not, not really. Um, I had been making my own decisions um, even before going to college, you know, um, deciding to go to school instead of going to the military and, you know, my major, what school I was going to, I transferred schools, you know what I'm saying? So none of those decisions that I actually consult my mom about, I made those decisions on my own. Wow. I mean, how were you at the time? Uh, at the time I became a dad or, or, yeah, well, yeah, at the, at the the dad part, because that was the, the big moment so me being me finding out that i was going to be a dad and like uh, the pregnancy was like far enough along to where we were telling people i was 22 um and i still had you know eligibility left so you're talking about playing division one baseball and basically deciding you know what y'all got it i'm good <laughs> so uh, you you was pretty deep into it then yeah man uh yeah, I mean at the time Savannah State Division One, we playing against SEC, ACC, we getting on planes, you know, going out to Cali and New Mexico. We playing Florida State, Miami, so I'm getting like major exposure playing ball, and uh, there's like again do this for myself and have the potential to be a late round pick, make a little money playing ball or get a career right away and so I chose the latter wow and then you just I'm gonna double back because you said you just met your dad at 36 yeah what did that feel like uh I'm you know I guess the the cookie cutter answer would be like it was a surreal feeling but it wasn't man I had I had I had played that moment out in my head thousands of times um, and I'm extremely OCD. Like when I obsess over things, it's to the point where I actually perfect my thoughts. And so rather than actually executing the thoughts, I perfect the thoughts and I execute once. And so, um, you know, my dad had always said, you know, when I first contacted him on Facebook, if I ever came to Claflin's homecoming, look for him. And, you know, he's a member, he's a member of Kappa. So I saw the Kappa tent. And, you know, I got up 
uh, me and my wife drove out there. I got up that morning, drove out, and I looked for the tent. I saw the tent. I scanned the area. I made I well, I didn't make eye contact with him, but I saw him. And so at the moment that I saw him, I just looked to my wife and I was like, "I'll be back." And she already knew what time it was. Like, okay, you must see your dad. She ne- obviously she's never seen him, right? So I um I go over to where he's at. And out of respect for his organization, I stood outside the tent and I stood there, I kid you not, maybe three or four minutes and waited <laughs> for him to see me and acknowledge me and then invite me under the tent. And when he did, he still didn't know who the hell I was. Um, and so he pulled me in and he was going to, he, he thought I was trying him, that I was a Kappa and that I was coming to pay some type of respect. And I just looked at him, I held his hand and he looked at me and he said, oh shit. <laughs> you know and, and uh it's like once he saw me man you could just see a flood of emotion come over him and then that moment i was the alpha i was the one in control but i had consciously made a decision i was gonna let him drive the conversation and i did that i let him you know i i was very respectful i, I let him you know say everything he had to say i let him show his emotion in the, in the drawest form and I treated it as if like I was mean a celebrity, not to the extent where I was in awe of him, but I was more so letting him be himself as much as he could be in that moment. And so the nerves were really on him and not me. Wow. So you said he was overcoming emotion. Were, were, were you or? It, it was just more so. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily think it, I was emotional as, as it was kind of like a. I'm I'm not going, you know, chalk it up as a bucket list type thing, mm-hmm. but it was it was like that moment made our existence to each other real. Wow. You, you can you can look at somebody's pictures, you can hear of, you can assume, um, but when I looked at him, bro, I saw my son. You know what I'm saying? I was like, wow, you know, this is why Mari looks the way he does. This is why I'm brown skinned. You know, my kid's mother's a brown skin. This dude is light. <laughs> you right. know what I'm this is where this color come from. This is where these thick eyebrows come from. You know, the only thing I was looking at, this joker got a head full of hair. Like, bro, <laughs> I'm received. So I'm like, <laughs> my mom has failed me so in this equation. But yeah, hey. man, that I had planned that moment in my head so many times. Um, so I wasn't uncomfortable at all. I guess because even though you know how you plan things, sometimes it just don't go as planned, you know? But see, that's where the that's where the OCD comes into play. That's where the everything that can go right goes right. This is how that plays out. Everything that can go wrong, okay, if this goes wrong, this is the pivot point. If this goes wrong, this is the pivot point. And at every, it's like a, it's like editing a movie clip, you know, they don't just go in and just cut out chunks of scenes. They go down to the very second and edit a particular part of it. And that's what I do in my mind. So every part of that conversation that I was having with him, there was an edit point for me. If this, if this conversation takes this turn, I'm still in control. I anticipated this. I know if the conversation turns awkward, how to bring it back home, how to wrap this shit up, how to still walk away from this feeling, uh, accomplished and not like like there was nothing that could have happened 
in that interaction that was going to have me in my feelings. Um, but I did feel like a sense of accomplishment after the fact. Um, but more so because I executed my plan more so than actually meeting them. Wow, that's that's a lot. What I was going to ask, um, it was no, I'm just like, I guess I can't really get past the part because I guess sometimes you got to take yourself out the situation because I know if it had been me, oh man, I'd have cried. Like, I would have, I'd have been done for. Just, yeah. just because, like, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I've always had my father around. I mean, he passed now, but I've always had him around. So I'm just envisioning not having him and then, you know, finally meeting him. Did you have pictures? You said, you, did you have pictures and stuff, you said? So, so the very first time that I ever saw this dude um, was my freshman year in college. So I, um, as a freshman, I went to Claflin University. That's where my parents met, and that's where my dad graduated from. And uh, I was like, I wonder if they got a yearbook in the library. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I went to the library one day, and I and they, they had the archives room at the very top. And I went to the class of 82 yearbook. Look for him. Let me find this dude. Let me see how he looks. I had never seen his face, didn't know how he looked, nothing. And uh, sure enough, man, I pulled out the 82 yearbook. He's all over it. Student club, he's the uh, student government president, uh, fraternity, track and field. He got all these accomplishments and everything. And I'm just like, damn, this explains a lot. <laughs> you wow. know what I'm saying? Like the ac athletic and academic talent that he had, even on a collegiate level. Um, Okay, this explains why I am the way I am. This explains me being, you know, athletic and charismatic and a natural leader and all these other things. And so for that, it kind of shaped my perspective. Um, I've always appreciated the hereditary things that he gave, you know, the life lessons that shit, it, it didn't require hearing a voice to realize I had. So did you did you guys like have a conversation like what happened or you did you even want to ask what happened? Nah, man, like, it, we didn't even get that deep. Um, in, in that conversation, we, we probably talked for about five minutes. And um, <laughs> it's so crazy because he sounded like, not necessarily like a lawyer, but his train of thought was, like, very cautious. And he was like, yeah, you know, me and your mom were together during that time. And, you know, it's a strong possibility that, you know, I'm definitely your father. You know, he was like, because we were together. And uh, he was like, you know, we should, you know, we should we should go and get a test and make this thing official and all this other stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's what you want to do, I will do that with you. Um, but I'm not going to go out of my way to do that. And uh, so we exchanged information. You know, he called my wife over, introduced himself. You know, he, he was charismatic. He joked a little bit. Um, we took pictures, you know, he was like, Hey, take our picture. Cause I wasn't going to ask him, you know, I, I wasn't about all that. I wasn't going to say, Hey, can I get you a picture? None of that. Mm -hmm. So I let him drive and he was like, Hey, let's take a picture. Let's exchange information. All right, cool. These are things that I would have liked to happen. And so when we took the pictures and it's one of the pictures, you know, with the iPhone, it takes like multiple uh, photos and you can see him saying, wow, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Like he was like, you know, in disbelief. And um, that part was really cool. Um, and so, you know, I 
it was we were going to the Falcons game that weekend. I was like, you know, after the game Sunday, I'll give you a call. You should be done with homecoming and whatnot, and we'll go from there. And I reached out to him. Call was unanswered. Fuck it. <laughs> like, that was it, bro. You, you got a missed call. You got a voicemail. What you do with that is up to you. So that was that was the extent of my uh, outreach. So, so, you, so you guys haven't talked since then? Not since. Nope. Not one time. Oh, wow. So it makes it kind of anticlimactic, right? It's like, wow, man, you met your dad. And it's like, you had not talked to him since? Nah. But at the same time, I think it kind of speaks to one of those hereditary qualities. We're probably both stubborn as hell. You know what I'm saying? Um, I feel like, man, I called you. You know, so, mm-hmm. so the ball is in your court. If you really want to have a conversation, you have my number. Uh, you have the voicemail. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have these things so that your next move can be executed. And then on the flip side, he's probably thinking, well, hell, what am I missing? If I call him, cool. If I don't, oh, well. You know what I'm saying? He, I'm, I think he remarried. He got other kids or whatnot. I think my biggest fear was always I I never wanted to meet a girl last name Jackson and <laughs> yeah like who who's your dad where you from you know so I'm over that you you think you think it was a possibility he was scared uh I don't think that he was necessarily scared as he I don't I think he was unwilling to deal with uh change. You know what I'm saying? I, I think my presence in his life would produce change. That's a conversation yeah. he has to have with his wife. That's a conversation he has to have with his kids and his parents. If you know, if they're still alive, that's a conversation he has to have. And so, is he willing to own that right now? Probably not. Yeah. You know, if he do some deathbed type shit, cool. You know, but I'm not hurt. Like I'm not hurt by it. I don't have any resentment towards him. Um, if he called me right now. Bro, I'm going to talk to him. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But I'm not missing that at this point. Did it did meeting him, did it did it provide any type of closure for you? It did. Um, one, <laughs> I mean, the funniest things, man, like my mom is 5'6". My dad maybe is 5'10". You know what I'm saying? I'm 6'1". So I look at my, <laughs> I look at my son and I'm like, boy, you got some hope. <laughs> Yeah. Like, Mike. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> <You> do something. <laughs> like, my, my son, like, how, do, how tall do you think I'm going to be? I'm like, well, hey, I actually met my dad finally. And, uh, you know, because my, my mom always say, oh, your dad is like six feet tall. And I'm like, okay, that explains it. Then I meet him, and I'm like a couple inches taller than him, like, legit. I'm like, yeah, bro, you're not six feet at all. So um, that was one of the things. And then, too, it was just more so for him to see me um, not in a newspaper clipper, uh, not yeah. on the internet, um, to see me with my wife, to know that I have two successful kids, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think that was the closure part to, like, it wasn't like a, hey, I made it and you didn't have anything to do with it. Because, again, the hereditary things are, without question, extremely important. But it was more so I always wanted to be able to present myself in a positive light if ever we met. And I'm glad 
it happened in 2018 and not 2012 when I was going through divorce because I wasn't in position mentally to endure that. So, oh, wow. You know, I I never really well because I, I, I can't say I know your whole story, but so you saying it, it really the timing was pretty much perfect for you guys and me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Think like um, while I didn't plan it, plan it. Um, I had kind of put a check mark by this that past November. Like, you know what? We're gonna go to Claflin homecoming and we're gonna see what happens. So I kind of mm-hmm. had it in my mind. I had you know my ducks in a row. Uh, wife was on alert. Alyssa just so happened to be with her mom. So everything was in position for me to do it. Uh, one time before, I went up there with my mother. And my mom seemed like she was more excited about making it happen than me. And it kind of threw me off a little bit, you know. Why is that? Why did it throw you off? I think it threw me off because it felt like she wanted it more than me. You know, I wasn't mentally prepared for it. And I doubt that particular time, we went out there. I was nervous as hell. Like, I really? Remember, yeah, I was extremely nervous. And this now, was what year was this? What year was this? This was um, this was this was uh, two thousand thirteen. Only reason I ask that is because you was you mentioned how you played it out so much, right? So I didn't think at any point you would have been nervous because you, you said you played it out so much. But see, that's, 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 that's also learning from past experience. So okay. I, I knew that previous encounter, I was all over the place or that previous, that previous opportunity, I was all over the place. Um, I hadn't seen any updated pictures of him aside from the college pictures. So I'm okay. trying to project in my mind how this man has aged from 1982 to 2013. Um, I'm trying to gauge how tall he is, hairstyle, weight, all this other stuff from a picture that I had, mind you, in black and white from 2008, uh, from 1982. So that first time, man, I remember just walking around and just my nerves was all over the place. And uh, my mom is looking at me. You see him? You see him? I'm like, man, you killing me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just so happened. I, I mustered up enough courage to ask. It was this Kappa that was there from Augusta that I knew from the gym. And I saw him. I was like, hey, uh, you seen Zip? That was my dad's nickname. He was like, man, he was out here earlier, but I, I think he left. So mm. then that was kind of like, that had like a, a, a two-part uh, reaction for me. One, he wasn't there. So, whew, <laughs> I ain't had to, you know, I ain't have to really uh. fix it. And then the second part was, damn, he was actually here. So uh, I remember we went home, and I was just like, oh, well, I tried. But actually, I was scared as hell, so I was kind of glad he won there. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So how do, you think that, how do you think that affected you being a father? Um, I, I think it, it made me – I think it, I think it increased my willingness to just be, um, not anything particular, but just be like, it's it's absolutely nothing I wouldn't do for my kids, man. And I've been in situations where that statement has been put to the test, um, and so the the key thing is just availability, being there, um, mm-hmm. being available to give advice, 
give support, uh, be stern, um, be there financially, uh, just be, you know what I'm saying? I, I've, I've traveled all over the country watching my son play ball. I've been at academics. I've been at everything. Like, I, I didn't have a car in uh, 2012, man. My son had a football game at 9 a.m. And I remember setting my alarm at 6.30, and I jogged 12 miles Damn. to be at his football game because I had told him I was going to be there. So it's, it's like little stuff, man, where that moment might not have mattered to him then and there. But when I can tell him that story and, and kind of put to words the level of commitment that it takes for a dad to actually be a dad, then that inspires him to be that way and even better with his own kids. And so, as I said, I, I don't hold any ill feelings toward my dad because inadvertently he made me what I am to my kids. So I, you, I, I, I've never really felt negative feelings for him. Do you do you ever do you ever feel like pressure because because you know being because you you feel like you want to do so much? Do you ever feel pressure like to succeed as a father? No, nah, man, not 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 as a father. Um, at the end of the day, I got to be a legit man first. You know what I'm saying, like. I can't I can't be a father and not a man. I can't be a husband and not a man. So in order for me to divide my pie, I gotta be a whole pie. Otherwise I'm shitting both of us. You know what I'm saying? So I I, I take the time to uh build me up completely and then I divide that. You know what I'm saying? And so the whole fatherhood, that's that's what I am to somebody. That's not me, that's what I am to somebody. Um and before I was a father, I was still a man. Before I was a husband, I was a man. And so yeah. it always it always goes back to that. If if I'm not full at my center, then how I'm being divided, man, that that's all over the place. It's unpredictable. So I don't I don't I can't put my I can't put any pressure on myself um, for that. And I damn sure don't worry about what nobody else has to say. So nobody has ever made me be a dad or made me feel obligated that I had to complete certain actions to justify me being a dad. Like, man, the hell with that. Like, yeah. I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say this. That's one of the things I have struggled with. Just um, like, I guess because I look at society a lot, like I look at how things are going and just being a black man, you, you know, it's just so much going on. And I just wanted to make sure everything is going right for my wife, for my daughter. So I think it it, it becomes overwhelming for me personally sometimes. So that's why I was wondering, like, do you ever feel that way? I mean, but see, that that's understandable, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you didn't feel that way, if you didn't battle with that, I would think something is wrong with you. Um, so it's not to say that those types of thoughts don't cross my mind. It's just that my perspective has been developed and molded from so many other experiences. And I've just kind of alleviated that outside pressure. You know what I'm saying? Like, what can I actually control in this equation? And I can't control anything outside of my shell, but I damn sure control the shell and within. So if, if, if I'm content, if I'm good with what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, 
That's all that matters, man. Now, how old is your son? My son is 13. So have you, have you guys had like a, a like a father-son talk where your son feels like he knows who you are as a man? Uh, he knows enough to what I feel like 13-year-old him can handle. Okay. Uh-huh. The only reason I ask that is like as I've gotten older, so my father died when I was 29. And as I've gotten older, I th- I sit back and I think about how me and him never had a real conversation. Like we talked, we talked all the time, but I didn't. I don't feel like I really knew who he was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's a that's a that's something that really struck me one day. I was like, damn, like I never really got to sit down with him and have a, a real conversation, like. What motivated him? You know, what made him tick? What made him sad? What made him happy? Like we didn't, we never really got to have that conversation. So it kind of, it kind of bothers me that we never got to have it. Right. I mean, so in a situation like that, man. Um, of course, I'll tell you about me and Amari, but just listening to what you're saying, that's when you look within, and you kind of, you have to give yourself peace by answering them questions yourself. Um, yeah. Look at, look at the best parts of you. Look at the things that make you tick. Look at your temperament. Look at how you carry yourself and say, you know what? I bet my dad was like this. I mean, maybe I didn't understand what I was looking at, but if I was looking at myself at this age, this is what I was seeing. These are these things. So with Amari, it, it's different for me because I'm usually having these conversations with him centered around his sports. And I'm trying to get him to discover himself through me, if that makes sense. Um, so, like, I, I, I share with him experiences that I had at his age and what my thought processes were at his age and how those things got me from 29 to 36. I mean, from 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 13, which is what he is now, to 36. And so it, it, it has, it works twofold because while I'm educating him, I'm revealing things about myself that I didn't quite process. Oh mm-hmm. man, maybe you being a little hard on him because your 13 yourself was sucker. Like you, you wasn't all that, you know, yeah. you were talented, but don't kid yourself. You weren't always the guy that people know you as now. And so, like, I, I really do peel back layers, man. I really, like, for his birthday, I remember pulling him to the side. He turned 13, and, he, you know, I'm a teenager now, and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of clenched him real tight. I was like, our conversations are going to change. I'm going to start cursing your ass out. <laughs> 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 he kind of looked at me like, what? Like, like, I'm like, nah, like, for real, like, these filtered, hold-your-hand-daddy conversations, that's over with. You, you're gonna get, you're gonna get my pure thoughts. You're gonna get my pure emotion. You're gonna get my first wave of anger. You know, I'm not going to give you the the the, the schoolhouse approach. You know, and what's wrong? And tell me what's no, 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 no. You know, and, and so when I told him that, he was receptive. He was like, okay, you know, I understand it. And it has shown itself, you know, in a few of his uh, basketball tournaments. He's having a bad game or he's, you know, not looking like himself. 
and I kind of, I, I think I made mention to it um, on social media. Like, I played with him. We laughing, joking. And I took him outside and I laid into his ass. And it, I expected it to catch him off guard. But I realized I had been preparing him for that type of moment. He received it so well, man. It was like, man, I'm doing a good job. Wow. Hey, I see, I got a girl, so. <laughs> but that's, but oh. the funny thing is, though, I am worse. I am worse with Alyssa. You think it, <laughs> you have no idea, brother. <laughs> I am 10 times harder on her. You know I what? Ever I see, I don't know if it's the, see, you probably can answer this better. I, I wonder if it's because of sports. Because Nia doesn't play any, she's played soccer, but she doesn't really gravitate to sports. She, she's more into like the theater and the dance. Mm-hmm. So I don't, <laughs> I would feel kind of weird kind of laying into her because she didn't get her steps right. Right. But she's so, my daughter, man, she's beautiful and she's sensitive. So, she like, is. that's, yeah, that, that, that tough guy approach don't work with her. Like, if I'm, if I feel like I'm saying, like, when I get a little bit too, you know, too amp, she, she kind of like fix her face and she get a little sensitive. So I got back off. Like, my daughter's sensitive, man. I can't. <laughs> it, it seems like just on the outside looking in, it seems like your wife feels the one that don't play. <laughs> yeah, she, well, you know what's funny? My wife would say that I'm tough on her. I'm tough on her, but it's, I get, I got a breaking point. And my breaking point is when I see her change, like whenever I see her emotions change, now I'm like, okay, I got to back off because I don't want her, you know, that's my baby. Like, I can't have her upset. So, like, the minute I feel like she's breaking down, then I just back off of her. Cause she she's good. She can like correct herself. My wife, my wife, you know, she can on her too. But I kind of talk to her more. I don't know. I don't know how. My wife always telling me like, you the you the you the dad. You supposed she's supposed to be coming to you when when I'm getting on her. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way it happened. I don't know. I, I, she just, you know, like I said, it's, she she does like um, she does like ballet and tap right now. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, man, like now when I take her, I used to be able to just sit in the car and let an hour pass. Now she's like, Daddy, I need you to come in and watch. I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you can hardly, you can barely see, like, the, the studio, it's got like this dark window. Mm-hmm. You can't really see, but she just wants me to be in there looking. And at first I was like, okay, I don't know. I can't make it in. But then I was like, you know what? She keeps just like the third time she asked me. So evidently it's important that I got to sit in this class. So I just sit in there. Sometimes I just read or listen to some music or something. Then she'll look at me like, hey, are you paying attention? Like, yeah, I'm paying attention. And I am a little bit, but I can't really see because it's like it's weird. It's like this tinted glass, and I can't really see. And if it's it's like that, and then if I if I move closer, then my back is to him. So it's just like this whole weird setup. But anyway, I'm I'm going to talk to you about because I know you work in the um, education field, right? So I want to ask you: Do you think that 
we as black people place enough value on education? Uh, formal education or just education in general? Because it's two different things. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. So I want you to tell me which the two and then I'll answer. So what most black people consider to be education is knowing enough to survive uh, common things that black people face. Um, I know some girls that can tell you how to, <laughs> I mean, they can break down how they manipulate through their government assistance and this equals this and this equals this, and they got it down to science, but they can't pass a goddamn math exam, uh. you know, or they can't write a paper, but they can give you the game so good. It's like for you to have that comprehension for what you want and then not for what is expected of you is baffling to me. Um, so I think we have we we are very educated on survival skills, and usually we equate those survival skills to surviving what we consider to be black problems. Okay. Um, but then we devalue formal education because we feel like that the end result of formal education is um, an opportunity to prove that you're still at the back of the line. So. You got a degree? Okay, cool. But those five white candidates who aren't as smart as you, didn't perform as well as you, still probably get the job. And so yes. then we, that's why we laborers and we go above and beyond and we have to alter our character almost to accompany the education. If you, 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 know, you see those, the tech guys, they, brilliant. Brilliant guys, black guys, but they don't cut their hair a certain way. They don't dress a certain way because they don't want to come off as being that 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 typical black dude. You ever notice, like in commercials, when they show successful black people, they don't have a clean lineup. They don't have on like neat clothes. They always kind of have like that goofy look. And I think there's a reason for that, and I think that mm. has something to do with why we don't put that much value on education because when we look the part, the first thing we do is put ourselves in the box as black this, first black doctor, first black technology, first black this, first black that, as opposed to those people who actually just want inclusion and they just want to be doctor. They just want to be lawyer. They don't want to be first black such and such. So there's a fight against falling in line with stereotypes. I'm, I'm trying to think about that. What you're saying, you said. So you, you say when when we look at commercials, the the guys are not clean cut. No, it, you you got to think about what they're advertising. So for instance, if it's a commercial about, let's take for instance the um, the NBA tickets commercial. The guy mm -hmm. it's like the Andersons have tickets. No, no black man in America talks like that. No black man in America <laughs> acts like that. Like that whole goofy approach, the kid with the curly hair, the, the light-skinned chick he's with, she's quiet and just sitting back letting shit play out. That ain't how it happens in a black house. <laughs> That's not how it happens. The man thinks he knows everything. The woman reminds him that he doesn't. And the kid don't hush. <laughs> That's not how it happens in a typical black house. But in a, com in a certain commercial, they have these uh, agendas. And they're going to, I'm, I'm going to show you somebody that's black, but they're going to be black on my terms. 
And so then, you, uh, it was another example. It was a kid, it's a commercial uh, for a vehicle, and the mom is like showing off like how much storage the car has. And the little kid has to take the, gro the groceries in the house. The little kid has like a nappy little matted little afro, not lined up, goofy looking clothes on. I'm like, that's not how the average black kid in America looks right now. It's not. See, now you got now you got me really thinking. I'm gonna have to really pay attention there because honestly, I never really paid it no mind. The the next time you see a commercial where the primary focus is on black people, one think about what's being advertised, and then two look at the the male lead or female lead in the commercial, and if they have a clean cut, crisp lining, nice outfit, suave appearance they're probably selling you something that's not considered positive, i.e. alcohol, beer, something to that effect. What about cars? It depends on the type of commercial. Because you make, because you make, because one thing you, because I just, one that just popped in my head, um, you, I don't know if you remember when Calvin Johnson was advertising for Acura. Mm -hmm. And he had, you know, he was clean. They put him in a nice suit. Cuff link, like they showed his cuffs, nice suit. I'm pretty sure his hair was cut too. So he's pretty clean. He, he already met one criteria. He's an athlete. Ah, okay. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So we expect our black athletes to have that image. You're already an athlete. It wasn't a lawyer, wasn't a doctor, wasn't, a, wasn't you know, the nutritionist. He was an athlete. So, athlete, clean cut, jury on, fancy, got money. Okay, cool. That 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 narrative is already written. But if it would have been uh, psychiatrists, if it would have been psychiatrists or something else, some alcohol I just bought. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if it would have been a psychiatrist or something else, he doesn't have that look. And usually those guys, if you notice, again, they're not going to have a clean cut, or they're going to have the where the whole head is cut, even all over without a tape line. Pay attention to that. Damn, man, you got me really, man, I might have to turn my TV on just to keep fishing for black commercials now. <laughs> it's the truth, man. It's, it's, it's not a conspiracy to it. It's just, that's just, it's an agenda, man. You got to think, uh, we have this false impression that it's black and white. Bro, we're 13% of the population. 13. So out of 330 million people, you're talking about roughly 40 million black people. Yeah, and we we think we have a bigger stake in things than we do because of our history. We're the only group of people that was here from the beginning, but has been dwindling since. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else is growing. You don't think we grow, population wise? Well, is that what you mean, population wise? Yeah, but relative to the everybody else, we're not. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's more Hispanics in America now. Um, it's damn near 12% Asians now, uh, you know, and then you okay. don't have, you don't have African immigrants coming in like that. You have immigrants of everything else coming in. So okay, African okay. Americans that are here, all you can do is dilute. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. You, you, you basically, you bring it into, you, you're looking at it from the immigration piece. Okay. That and our rate of birth isn't outpacing our rate of death. 
Hmm. You might have stopped me on that one. That, but see, the immigra- I think the immigration piece is is really more to it though, as because you 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 actually I mean you're right because there's so many coming over, so that's that's going to change the population. I mean that's why the elections were set up that way in Florida and Texas. You keep rezoning because because of immigration. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like we we don't really like it's. I mean we have. Um, we have the Islanders, but most of them are older. Yeah. And they had kids here. Yeah. And then you look at like um um Hispanics. Like I don't like I don't know if it's because of their culture or their religion, but if you talk to them, they don't I don't think they really practice birth control. Uh birth control is For for most people, birth control is one of those things where it depends on what you need. Um, in certain nations, they need more people to work, have kids, <laughs> um, or if, you know, if you take like what's going on in China right now, hey, we're overcrowded, less kids, you know, so you're discouraged from reproducing. But didn't they change that? Didn't they change? Didn't China change that? I mean, listen, I don't I don't know what the current law is, but it got to a point where the population just literally got out of hand. So yeah, fast. but you could because it was it was something like you can only have boys or something. It was yeah, something weird going on. A female, one female can have multiple kids, where and and that male, he can only reproduce with that female. So they were trying to control who he was with. Yeah, and how often. That's wild. Whew. That's real wild right there. But yet, I mean, when you, next time you look at TV, man, because um, I, I went totally away from your education co- question um, with the reference to what you see in TV, but that goes back to why I don't feel like the black culture itself puts extreme value on education because of what they're, what they're seeing and what we're being fed subconsciously. We, we're, we're not seeing the fruit of our former education in uh, public view. There's not enough lawyers, not enough doctors, not enough electricians and everything else to justify what we perceive as going to college, you know, so. Would you say the problem is that we don't do a good job of promoting our doctors and lawyers? Nah, I don't think that's it. Because one reason I say that, because when you when you go into, um, when you look at environments, it's like, you know, like the hood, the, you know, lower income. Mm-hmm. They look at, they look at their way out through sports. Mm-hmm. It's never about getting an education, um, working, you know, getting a, you know, getting a good job and, Finding the you know finding the woman you two combining resources and, and and build together they don't really paint that picture. It's always I want to go to the NBA, I want to go to the NFL, which we we both know everybody not gonna make it. So most most aren't gonna make it. Yeah, it's very small. The part the shit the numbers for that is minute. So, but we don't. But they don't. It's they're not being taught that like it's nothing wrong 
it's nothing wrong with just you know you know getting getting a good education becoming an engineer not even really a doctor just an engineer something with computers you know making a nice salary and building a family and living a normal life but you but, you know what you know what a huge problem is in the black community um a lot of a lot of I ain't gonna say older people because it, it is happening in every generation, but a lot of people don't want people to outdo them. And so, if 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 Mama sat on her ass and sat around and did X, Y, and Z, she ain't necessarily thrilled about her daughter going out making all kind of money doing X, Y, and Z, and then coming back throwing the shit in her face. She's not necessarily thrilled about that. You, you know what? I, I guess it's I guess it's because I'm an optimist. I never can believe that. Man, you'd be surprised, bro. Like I, now, now let me be clear. Let, let me be clear. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that because I'm sure it happens. I'm just saying I I truly believe in my heart. If you take we're gonna use we're gonna use the number ten because that's easy. You take ten women. I would say seven of them will want their daughter to outdo them. That's me talking. Now, do we have numbers to prove this? No. But that's just me being an optimist. Right. So, I mean, as you should be, like, you should be extremely optimistic that morally sound people will make those types of decisions. But then what comes into play is those who have been mentally handicapped, those who have been afforded opportunities by not succeeding, by not stepping out and acquiring things on their own. So those system girls, you know what I'm saying? They, the mama live in the projects, the daughter turned 18, she get a house in the projects next door. The next kid turns such and such age, they get a house in the projects across the street. And so now you got a whole family that's all in the projects. Instead of combining their resources and, and saving money and getting the hell up out of there, mama is cool with you staying across the street. Why? Mama ain't got to buy a car. She can use yours. Mama don't need a sieve. She can use you. Mama ain't, like, and so what inevitably happens is y'all all have a half-ass approach, and she's okay with that. Now, that, that's, that's a few people. Um, I give you an example that's of a white family from a movie. Have you ever, I'm pretty sure you've seen the movie Rudy, right? What is it? Rudy. The Notre Dame football player. Nah, I never saw it. I never right. saw it. You got to see Rudy, right? So, of course, they, they dispute the authenticity of the movie. But the actual plot is so amazing. And basically, Rudy is this kid, has no business having any aspirations of playing college football. Not really smart. Uh, just very rational. But he had passion and drive about one particular thing. And that one particular thing led him to sleeping in a dungeon, sleeping in a, you know, on a cot and, and working for pennies and studying and all this other stuff so that he could go to Holy Cross and then eventually go to Notre Dame. Well, the point that I'm making about that is when he first got accepted in the Holy Cross, he came home, told his parents like, yo, I didn't make it into Notre Dame, but I'll go to school at Holy Cross. Now his dad, the, the older brother, they all work in the plant. The dad, like, oh, cool, that's great, Rudy. You want to come in and work? Like, could care less. Want to hear that? Whatever. Come in. Can you work? 
we're like, no, I got, you know, I'm trying to make it into Notre Dame. I got to study football practice coming up, football trials coming up. And his brothers and everybody looking at him like, this fool pursuing this dream. This ain't going to work. Like, what are you doing? You're wasting time. So then he gets into Notre Dame. And the dad was like, hey, my son going to Notre Dame. Next thing got his mouth. Do you want to work? <laughs> can, can you home and work? <laughs> like, it was just like, the, the more he achieved, the more his family looked at him like, you trying to show us up. And to mm. the point where he had to isolate himself. He had to isolate himself. And that was the only way he was going to achieve his goal. Like, if I sit around and listen to y'all, I would have never even tried what I'm doing right now. So not only am I succeeding at it, but I got to isolate myself. And I got to, he had to basically get where he wanted to be before they could appreciate what he went through. It's like once he achieved the success and made the football team and dressed out, all of a sudden everybody's happy for him. But y'all let that man struggle. Y'all let him struggle through all that. Y'all let him go through all of that turmoil and, and that isolation and wanting to quit and, and depression and all this other stuff. And then when he made it, everybody wanted to pop champagne. That's what happens in the black community. We don't want to champion people in their journey. We want to we wanna lift them up at the end. Oh, man, that's my dog. I knew he was going to make it. Well, <laughs> hell, you know, he, he was starving, bro. You ain't sending no cap packages. You ain't. You ain't you ain't send no packs of paper, no calculators, nothing. You you soon as he soon as he make it, he becomes the lawyer, he becomes the judge or whatever. Oh, that's my dog, man. I've been knowing him 20 years. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, you got a point on that one. People don't champion you in the struggle. And that's what I think happens a lot of times in the black community. We can be on the road to success. But until we get there, man, you're not really getting that support like that. Not for many. Yeah, I, you know, because <laughs> it's sad because I this I I is I'm kind of I don't know I'm kind of like one of them I'm I can be a fence driver. Let me just say that because you make great points, but I guess because I'm just so much of an optimist that I just don't want to accept that. But I know I know it happens. Because I've seen it with my own two eyes, I know it happens. But but again, I guess it's just me being an optimist. Like, but you know you, you, your optimism has to be uh, has to be uh, self fulfilling. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you can be optimistic about me, I still gotta endure it. I can be optimistic about you, true. you still gotta endure it. You know, that's so, true. So, and 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 that's. Like, I'd be like, man, you could do it. And you sitting there like, hell, I've been trying to do it and I ain't doing it. Like, you know, so you're supposed to be optimistic. You're supposed to be, I hate the term devil's advocate. That just means you have a contrasting opinion. But you're supposed to have that other viewpoint. Yeah. And, and because it's not all one thing and it's not all the other thing either. So... I guess because, because I guess when you see, I guess because you know both 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 statements are true, both do happen. So it's really about which 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 one you want to do. You want to do the positive one. You want to do the negative one. And which which I, truth is yours? Yeah, exactly. You're you know, right. People, you know, people argue, and they both be right, and it be the funniest <laughs> shit ever. <laughs> you ever sit 
sit back and watch two people argue and they're both right? Shit, sit back. I'm in the middle of a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, see, you, you know me. I, I listen. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a type by seven to eight line paragraph. I'm gonna hit all points and I'm out. I am not going back and forth. Like, it, see, I, I'm and it, with me, it depends. It me, like, I'll engage you if I make if, if we both making good points. Cause I'm okay with that. Like I like to hear your perspective on things. So if you can make even even if I even if you can't convince me, cause you you know how it is. We can, we yeah. everybody got that stomach. So I'm like, look, I'm right, you're wrong. But I still want to <laughs> hear what you guys say. Like let me hear it. And and sometimes somebody may say something. And I'm like, you know what? Damn, they, they got me on that one. That was a that trumps my point. And if you if you make me change, I'll be the first to tell you, damn, you know what? I didn't see it that way at first, but shit, you're right. You you actually you actually right. Now, it's not too often that that happens, but when that happened, I'm gonna let you know, damn, you know what? That was a good point. I didn't really consider that. I'm gonna give you this one. But when you just like, if I know I'm right, and I'm not trying to be arrogant about it, but I'm like, if I know I'm right. And I know you just bullshitting me. Okay, I, I'm not gonna go back and forth with you. Yeah, but if yeah. you if you can make some good points, yeah, we we can we can do this. We can keep going back and forth. I'm good with that. I don't, I got some time to do this with. It gotta you. it gotta be it gotta be fresh points too. Like I yeah. repeated points throughout a debate. Like if if me and you having a conversation and you make some points, I make some points, and then person C comes in and kind of I'm gonna pick it back off. The moment you say that, get the hell out of here. <laughs> get your ass out. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't need an amen. We need fresh perspective. Like, I hate, and, and you know it happens a lot in social media, man. People, people don't bother to read. They don't bother to figure out where in the conversation they should interject. Yeah. You know, if, if, the proposed, if the original post says such and such and such and such, before I even formulate my response, I do my due diligence and I read every last post because what I don't want to do is repeat something that's already been said. One, yeah. I'm a pretty clever guy. I'm probably going to say this shit in a very clever way and everybody's going to like it, right? That's kind of arrogant, but it's the truth. <laughs> but what I also don't want to do is take away from what somebody has already said. So right. if, if, if I don't have a fresh take on things, I'm not going to comment. I like what I like the best. Okay, that makes the most sense. That's closely, you know, what I would say. Okay, I'm going to like it. I'll leave it alone. And I'll totally leave a post alone unless somebody tags me and say, hey, Arnez, what do you think? I'm like, why y'all do that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it happens, man. Like, it's times where I've sat back and I just look at certain social media posts and it's like, when I prepare to give my perspective, it's like I, I know people are going to love what I have to say because I'm not going to alienate anybody. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I try. To, I try not to, unless it's a hard stance. If it's something crazy, like that situation with Kodak, I just had to take a hard stance. Like, look, y'all crazy as hell. This is it. <laughs> but if, if, it's, if it's something that isn't a right or wrong and it's more so how do you feel, if it's a how do you feel post, yeah, I, I try to be inclusive. I try to 
it, no matter who's reading it, I want somebody to read it and say, you know what, I can see where you're coming from. And that's all I really be wanting. Yeah, I, I, I like engaging people, right? Smart people. Right. Like people that's gonna make me think. If if you're not about to make me think, man, I'm not wasting my time. Like I if I if I read if I read a post and I'm like, oh nah. This 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 one not for me. I'm gonna leave this alone. Like people that you know, it's just certain people, man. I'm not in, like there's just people I don't want to engage. Like if I don't feel like you're gonna make me think, then I'm not gonna engage you. Right. Like I don't I don't feel like I don't feel like doing this mental exercise where I only had to use like a tenth of my brain to just mm-hmm. dismantle your argument. Nah, <laughs> I want to be like, okay, wait a minute. That's a damn good point they made. So I need to have a good counter to that. And if I don't, then I'm like, man, you got it. Like, it's been times people have shut me down. I'm like, damn, I can't even. But you know, you know, the trick is of those are posts where, um our opinions aren't necessarily solicited. Um, for example, if, if there's a post and it speaks to something that women do or women say or the experience of a woman, all we can really speak to is our attachment to the women in our lives and kind of how we've seen things or what we think. And so there are instances where I read the dialogue between females and I'm like, Man, I just want to jump in and straighten all the asses. But I'm yeah. not that's not for me. You gotta pick your battles. Like, bro, at the end of the day, whether you're right or wrong, certain conversations you have to kind of just let play out. And yeah. if you wanna have like a side by conversation with somebody, you know, hey, I seen the points you made, I would, you know, caution against this, this, and this, and this. And they'd be like, you know what, you're right. And then they also appreciate you not one, embarrassing them on the post. Or two, um, having enough decency to address them in a in a way where it can be a, a fluid back and forth, and it's not aired out in public. Right. That that happens a lot. Like I have a lot of conversations with people offline, where it just like I don't want them to. <laughs> if it looks crazy to me, I don't want you to look crazy to somebody else. Right, so I'm right. Just kind of, that's like me, you know, virtually pulling you to the side. Like, you know, that shit looks stupid. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I sent him, but like, I might take a screenshot. I send it to him and say, you, you know, that's actually incorrect. You know, and I don't want you to be talking to somebody else and then they looking at you like, you know, you, that don't make any sense. So, yeah, yeah man. I- <laughs> it's it's wild, but you know it, it's I, I, there's some things about. I like like I said, the the thing I do like about social media is situations like us. That's how we met with social media. Like you come across good, honest people on social media. Then you come across people you like, man. What the fuck? Why are they even in my cyberspace? I don't even want you there. All the cyberspace in the world, and you and mine. No. Like get out of that. So it, it serves its purposes because it, you know, you get the you need to have dialogue with people you would have never had a chance to have a conversation with, like we have right now. So right. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. So I'm gonna wrap it up with this. What do you see yourself at in five years? Like, what are you looking at? What's the biggest thing you're looking to accomplish? 
Oh, man. So five years will put me at 41. <laughs> uh, um, I think really, man, first and foremost, you know, I, I want to be here. Um, I want to yeah. make decisions on a daily basis that gets me to that point. Um, That's a good not, point. Yeah. Not taking anything for granted, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right about you, that. You can be doing amazing things, you know, rest in peace, Nipsey, and it's, it's somebody have other plans. I want to still have an opportunity um, to achieve whatever it is that's in my sights. Uh, professionally, I want to have my master's degree. Um, my son to be a senior in high school in five years. Um, I want to have solidified, locked up, and made plans for where he's going to spend his you know, college years. Uh, my daughter be in the eighth grade, you know what I'm saying? So she, she's going to be on the cusp of being a woman and having a period and, and her body developing, all that type of stuff. And I just want to be in position to be the type of dad I always envision myself being for a little girl. You know, um, I always told myself the only thing that I can't do for any of my kids is birth them and breastfeed. You know? <laughs> Right. I mean, so no matter what, like, just be prepared in that regard. But me, uh, professionally, man, like, I, I really would like to um, have a nonprofit organization that's actually teaching courses on perspective. Um, I have having this conversation, and I was just telling them, like, it's not so much as the results that you're looking for. I don't have results that I want to achieve in five years. I want to perfect my approach. And if I perfect the approach or, or in the act of constantly perfecting the approach, then I can live with whatever comes of it. Um, you know, you can figure out a hundred ways to get to point B from A, but it's the approach itself that, that separates you from everybody else. And so if I'm on the right path, I'm making sound decisions, if I am at peace with myself, taking care of my body, um, you know, I'm morally, my moral compass is balanced, then I am okay with whatever happens. Because I know that I put myself in the best possible situation to win. Man, that sounds like a great five-year plan, man. Appreciate it, brother. Hey, you're going to be a part of it, man. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate it. And I really... Man, I just want to say thank you, man, for taking the time to do this. Um, I, I, like I told you, man, I always enjoy just getting to interact with you because you're one of the more, most intelligent people that I ever came across. It's just it's always a good conversation when we get to interact. It's not always this is the longest we got a chance to interact, and it's just been a pleasure like to get to bounce, you know, bounce ideas with you, talk, and get your perspective on things because. They say iron sharpens iron. So every time I talk to somebody that I know is very intelligent, it helps me out as well. So, man, I appreciate you really, you know, taking the time to do this with me. Absolutely, bro. And thank you again for the prayers, the thoughts, the encouragement. Uh, I actually share it with her. You know what I'm saying? So she she very aware, um, you know, knows that you're engaged. And that, that separates you from many of the people that's in our group you know, on a personal level. So even though we haven't actually been in the same room, like, bro, you're definitely in my heart. So appreciate everything you got going on. 
Hey, thanks, man. We're going to wrap this up. And again, this is Conversation with Lamp. And again, thank you, Arnez. And have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. I already do.